Welcome back to Mosaics. I'm Holly Beach, your host with the Idaho Office for Refugees. We're here to share stories of the Idaho community of people who were born in other countries and have moved here to hear about what their experiences have been like. So today I'm really excited to be here with Elisa Shabire, um, a wonderful partner of the Idaho Office for Refugees. You were the MC at World of Refugee Day last year and a very good dancer, I might add. <laughs> we Thank had you. Dance on stage, which was pretty fun. Um, Elisa was born in the Congo and moved to Rwanda when she was just six years old. Um, and then in May of 2020, she resettled in the United States. She's a student at Boise State University studying social work. Uh, she's a mom, a wife, a big sister, and her dad's little girl. Yeah. And uh, she loves people and someday wants to be a clinical social worker to help immigrants and refugees with mental health and also to advocate for social justice. Yeah. So welcome, Melissa. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It was interesting when we first walked in the studio, you saw the red on-air sign and you said, oh, that reminds me of Africa. Yeah. And so I said, why? So tell us why that reminded you of Africa. So like when I was in Africa, I used to work on Radio Rwanda, but like in Musanze district. And then I was like, cool, it's Looks like I'm going back to Africa and do my normal job. So I was like, wow. So you had your own radio show yeah. in Kenya, Rwanda, mm -hmm. your uh, primary language. Yeah. And you were telling me about what you would do on that show, how people call in. Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah. So like people were calling and then like greet their friends and also like tell us a joke or something they want us to know. And also like I'll be telling them the stories about my sisters, about everything. So it was like a really fun afternoon show ever <laughs> yeah that's so cool so mm -hmm. you studied journalism you have your degree in journalism so like when i was in africa i did journalism and communication and like before i came here in 2020 i just missed like three classes to graduate oh, so yeah such a bummer technically i am supposed to have my degree but i don't have it okay yeah maybe i'll go back and work on it and see if i can have my degree officially my degree mm -hmm. yeah what drew you to journalism and communications? So, like, I love people. I always say that I love people. And then, like, when I was in Africa, I just needed to be the voice to the voiceless. So I needed to see, like, how can I help people to reach where they can't easily reach? Like, how can I advocate for them? Yeah, so that's why I went in journalism. What were the issues or the stories that really meant a lot to you when you were doing that work? So, like... You know, like in the village, there's these issues like where someone need to like to ask for help. People who are pov in poverty and they need to ask for help and they don't know like where, who am I going to ask? Who can I ask? Who can help me? So I was just there to go in the village and ask them what is like the social issues that you guys have. And then when I know them, the issues will be on air and then the government, you know, like, oh, this village need this thing and then they just go to help them mm, yeah that's cool mm -hmm. and um now you're drawn to more of the social work side yeah. rather than the journalism side or maybe someday you can find a way to combine the two passions so i think i can combine them because they are all fighting for social justice so when i went to social work actually so i need to tell you the story like the reason why when I came here, I didn't continue in, in journalism and communication. So when I came, I saw how people speak English, and I was like, no, my English is not that good, and I don't think I will get any job on any radio. So I need to look for other ways that I can still help people 
with like my English. I was like, I knew that I was going to improve, but I was not that confident enough. Mm -hmm. So social work, like you just fight for social justice and also like help people when it comes to mental health. Mm -hmm. So I was like, even if I'm not going to be voice to the voiceless using radio or TV, I will still be voice to the voiceless by connecting them to the service they need. So I just said, let's move to social work because that's where I'll be more productive. I can be like counselor. I can also be advocate. I can, I mean, I can advocate for them. So I said, why can't I do both of them? Be a counselor and advocate for them. So, yeah. And I know that um, mental health is a big discussion in our community right now. And as many great resources are out there, when you try to find resources in a language that somebody's comfortable in, it gets the list gets a lot smaller. Yeah. But what have you observed with people who maybe aren't comfortable sharing with a counselor in English? You know, what are the resources like for them right now? So, like, the resources are not really available for people who don't, like, whose English is not their first language. And also, like, you know, like, when you're telling someone, like, the things that she have been through, she will easily understand you more than telling the person, like, the things that she have never seen or even heard. Let's say, like, those immigrants and refugees. If someone tell you, like, I'm having, like, childhood trauma for sleeping out, like, the whole week or the whole year. I know how does that feel, and I know, like, maybe what I did for me to overcome that. So I'll be, it will be easy for me to help that person. But if someone come and tell you, like, I didn't eat for the whole week, and maybe you have never even, like, lost what to eat for one day, how are you going? I mean, you can feel his pain as a human being, but you can't feel his pain as much as I can do when I know how to be hungry feels really like. So these people who don't speak like English, they really need someone like us who know like who speak other language and also who have been like where they yeah and who have experienced some of the things that they did. So we can easily like connect and be open to each other. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's an extra layer of trust building that might need to happen. I've observed sometimes in um, communities from refugee backgrounds, this desire to move forward and look forward. And what happened in the past is the past. Yeah. And you don't want to rehash it. I want to look at, you know, being mm. strong in the future. Do you ever see that? Do you observe that instead of the desire to maybe sit down with a counselor? Do you notice any of that hesitance to yeah. go back and look at? I, I do like. Most of my friends, they're like, no, I don't want to talk about that. And like the past is the past. But sometimes the past, when you like you hold to your past so much, you end up not being able to move forward. Because like there is this pain and these wounds that is not healed, that need to be healed so that you can continue your life. So, yeah. So you in that position, um, be, yeah, I can imagine having the language there, the background yourself. Uh, you've had to go through a lot in your own life. I imagine that would be a more inviting environment for someone to. I hope up. so too. Because also the other thing that I need to add about this, you know, like when you don't speak English, then it means like someone who speak your language have to be in the room with you and the counselor for you to speak, which makes you like not comfortable enough because you are not you you know that someone who is not professional in counseling is hearing your story and he may end up going telling people like 
allowed, oh, do you know what is going on with Elisa? She's this and this. She's passing through this and this, which is not safe. So I believe that if I can be a counselor and I can be able to speak some local, like African, East African languages, then I'll be more productive. Mm. And I'm willingly to learn even more languages. So, yeah, I'll do my best to help my community. That's great. Yeah. Can you share about what um, your transition to the U.S. was like when you first got here? Ooh. So <laughs> it's a long, it's a long journey and a long process and hard one. So like my dad came here like long time ago, and then he started the process to see if we can join him here. And then for the first time, he got rejection. They said like because we were not living in the refugee camp, so like. They can't allow us to come as a refugee. So he, then he waited for him to get like citizenship. And then when he did, he just applied, started the process again. So okay. it was really hard and time consuming. And then like after like three years, that's when we saw like, oh, you guys can go for the interview. By that time, I was over 21, which was like also another big issue. Oh, yeah, because it's not a child mm -hmm. under 21. So yeah. Then Oh, you aged out of that. So yeah. How did you, what did you do then? So like they had to go back and go through the document and see like when he did, he start applying for me. And then luckily they saw that he started applying for me before I was 21. Okay. So like it took us like six months waiting for the visa decision. And then they made the decision and they said like, you guys are approved. You can go. I didn't believe it. Ooh, I was like, no way. How am I going to see my dad after 18 years? 18 years. Yeah, it was really hard. And then we booked the flight, and then we were supposed to come on Saturday. And then on Friday, they, in Rwanda, they just started lockdown. Nobody's supposed to move. Oh, because it was 2020. Yeah. The COVID. Yeah, the COVID. Oh, no. I was like, how comes... How can we ha work hard for something like for five years or 10 years and then we end up missing this? So One day. Yeah, just one day. Oh no, what happened? So we just waited and like feel like, oh, things is falling apart and then we lost our hope. And then one day, one of my uncle who is in Canada, like he just called me and said, I saw that there is fright that is coming to pick people who are like American people who are in Rwanda and someone who like who is relative um, of American citizen. And then I was like, oh, yeah, our dad is American. So <laughs> why can't we go? So I just like called to the U.S. embassy in Kigali and then they said, oh, you guys are good to go. So I, we just booked the, the flight again and the price was like four times double, like. Of the cost. Of the cost. Oh, wow. So yeah. you had to pay a lot more to do that. Yeah. Flight. Like, it took my dad about, like, 25000 for us to come. $25,000. Yeah. And he didn't have that money by the time. So just God. I don't know how he did it. Borrowed but he, it. Yeah. Like, we had, like, three days to be done with all that stuff. And then he got oh, the money. Goodness. Yeah. And then we came. When you say we, who all are you including in that? So me and my other three sisters. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that was about a two-month delay no. from COVID. So it's like 
almost we waited like four months okay yeah okay. so because we got the visa in may i mean in january 2020 oh, I see. and then we came in may 2020 okay. yeah so you hadn't seen your dad for 18 years. Well, how old were you when you had last seen him as like a kid? Like six. Like six years old. Yeah. And you adore your dad from Ooh. what I hear. <laughs> you talking about. So my dad is my favorite person in the world. Like I love him so much. And every time I always think like, I don't want to lose him. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. So like when I was young, my like, you know, like someone have like a goal, a, a dream. My dream was to see my dad again. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about education. I didn't think about like anything else. My always when I go to bed, I was just praying to see my dad again. When I wake up, I was like, I hope that I'll see my dad again before I die. And then when I saw him, I was like, Yeah, my dream come true. Wow, <laughs> so now I'm living in my dream that came true. So yeah, every time when I talk to him, I'm like, Yeah. So as a little girl, what was your dad like? Like what? What drew you to him, you know? Yeah, so, like, when I was young, he was this kind, like, kind of dad who is, like, always take care of you. Like, I remember, like, he used to take me and put me on here and then, like, my other two sisters here and, like, he orders all day and, like, he bought me, like, some funny stuff and, like, the clothes and the shoes and those things, like, the moments that I had with him, that 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 was the one that was driving me crazy. Like, will I be able to see this man who loved me, like, this much? And then, like, I remember also he used to take me, like, to travel, just me and him without mom or anybody else. So I was like, ooh, yeah, how am I going to live all my life without seeing this man? Yeah. And even now, like, when I'm sad, I just call dad. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember when I was having my baby, I just told my stepmom, I need to talk to my dad. And then she was like, what? You, have, you are supposed to talk to someone else? Like, maybe your husband? No, I need my dad. And, I, <laughs> and she was like, you are acting like you are a little baby. And I'm like, yeah, I am a little baby to my dad. So, oh. yeah, I talked to him and then he told me, you're going to make this. And I was like, yeah. And then, yeah. So, like, he's my comfort zone. Mm. Yeah. Wow. When you were separated all those years, were you able to talk to him on the phone? So, for the first time, I didn't because I didn't know where he was. And then, we like, he also didn't know, like, where we were. It's like we got separated and nobody knew about each other. So, like, the first time I talked to him, I was, like, almost in high school. And then, like, this man called, and then my grandma was like, who are you? And then he said, I'm Eliza's dad. And he said, no, you are not. Eliza doesn't have a dad. And I was like, and then, like, they started to interrogate him, like, asking him questions. How does Eliza look like? How does Eliza's mom look like? Do you remember this and this? And then he answered all the questions, and then they confirmed, yeah, it's him. And then he talked to me the first time. I cried all day. <laughs> so I was wow. like wow, my dad is still alive and he still, like, think about me. So I was really happy. And then the time he came, he changed my life because I was in the hard situation. Like, we lived with our grandma with two main kids. And, like, our grandma and grandpa was, like, they took care of us. But, like, again, we were too much. Like, we were two main kids and they, they are just formal 
village people, so they didn't have much resources for all of us. So when he came in our life, he just like made sure that we go to the good school, we ate, we get like all the things we need. So yeah, he, every time he's there and he's very supportive. Wow. Yeah. Are you open to sharing about what caused the separation to happen in the first place? Yeah, so like in Congo, you know, like they least always war. Like people are fighting, people are dying. So like they shoot it and then one goes here and at the other side goes to this one and we lost each other and just we stayed with our mom. And then she, who was also young by the time and she had all of us like, no, my dad left when my mom was pregnant with my last, like my younger sister. Mm -hmm. So my mom had three young kids and then she was pregnant and then she was young. I mean, like in her 20, 25 or 24, like she was very young. So, and like things was really hard, no mm -hmm. peace. Every time we had to go to sleep out of the house because in the night people would come like to steal and kill and all that stuff. So I remember when I was young, we used to like at six o'clock, my mom would take like all the this important thing in the house, let's say like the TV, the couch and all thing, and we go to hide it in the bush and then we go to sleep there so that those people who come to steal and kill, when they come in the house, they find nothing there and they leave. And then we come back in the morning just to make sure like, yeah, they left and then we come back. So it was a really hard thing for her. And then also, yeah. I love my mom too and she's also my hero because she didn't abandon us. She just took care of us until she was like, I think this is too much for me and then she brought us to our grandma. Okay. Yeah. Do you still keep in contact with her? Yeah. Oh, is she still in Africa? Yes. Okay. One day I hope she come and join us. Yeah. Yeah. And now your mom, yourself, your little girl. Oh, yeah. Mina. <laughs> yeah. She's going to be one soon. Yeah. This Sunday she'll be one. What has been surprising to you about being a mom yourself? So first, I thought that I would not be a good mom. Like, really? Yeah, I was like, because I'm always funny and like people don't see like the silliness in me. Like They were like, how are you going to be even a mom? And I was like, I know, like I'm serious. I'm funny, but also at the same time, serious and responsible. So like, who, when I had a baby, this... I was scared that I'm going to lose my fun part, but I didn't. So, yeah. yeah. Fun moms are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is she old enough to, like, is she silly with you yet? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I can <laughs> do the stuff that we do together on camera, but she's the funniest. <laughs> I hope, I think that she took that from me, but also her dad is fun. So, oh, how yeah. sweet. She has a cool parent. <laughs> yeah tell her that when she's 13 and she doesn't believe you anymore oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um, your husband mm -hmm. are you is he here now or are you still living in separate countries we are still living in separate countries which is driving me crazy yeah that's yeah. so hard do mm -hmm. you have any timeline for when he could be here i don't have any timeline but Hopefully, because he's waiting for the last step, which is like the interview date. So maybe, who knows, this year or next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you get to go visit him recently? Yeah, I did. In October, I just went to show her, to show him like our baby. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. And he's also like, when, like to the man's side, apart from my dad, 
my husband is also my other like comfort zone and my best friend. He's my best friend like since I was 14. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he's wow. my boyfriend and best friend since I was 14. So he's High the school sweetheart. Yeah. He's the only like person that I have ever fallen in love with. <laughs> so wow. he's my one and only love. Wow. Now and forever. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's really sweet. Mm -hmm. I hope that he can come join you soon. I, I hope so too. This long distance is just not, I it, that breaks my heart. Families like, did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever feel angry or do you feel angry now, like these years yeah. that you didn't have with your dad? Mm -hmm. So, like, sometimes I would see my dad taking care of my younger brothers and sisters. And I'm like, I missed this stage because he left when I was six, and now I have like a younger brother who is eight. And, the add-on who is six and I'm like, yeah, I really needed this kind of time. I wish like I can go back and enjoy my time with my dad. So like these separations drives me crazy. Like also like I see my baby facing almost the same thing that I went through. Cause like she's now one and she has only seen her dad like for just three weeks. Can you imagine? Mm. Like, and I'm like, it's not fair. I mean, yeah, it's hard and, like, mentally disturbing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you do with that? Have you found a way to work through it, or are you still kind of in the thick of it? So, like, the only way to work through it is just talking to my husband, like, very often and, like, just video chat and all things. But still, it's hard because sometimes, like, especially, like, when I was pregnant, I needed someone to be there for me. And then I was like, I'm not going to call my young sister to delete some stuff that your sisters, like especially the younger one, cannot do for you when you are pregnant. So I was like, I needed someone to be there for me. And then he's just there on the video, but he can't help me yeah. like technically. So it's hard. And like also like because I'm doing social work and I know like my mental health is very important. So when it's too much, I just know that I need to go to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Go and talk to a counselor. Yeah, counselor or even like a friend that I know like mm -hmm. she can understand me and not judge me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. What have you enjoyed about Idaho? And what do you miss about Rwanda? Ooh. I will start with the last one. Okay. So the things that I miss like about Rwanda is my friends. My friends and the food and the fun that we used to have. Yeah. So I wish they can just bring all my friends here. We need to send another plane over there. <laughs> yeah, I wish. And then, so like, that is the first thing that I miss in Rwanda. Like, it's to see my friends and my family, like my grandma, my grandpa, my uncles, my aunt, like everybody's there, my mom and my other two young sisters. So mm. I miss everybody there. And then what I love, in Idaho is this like Idaho is full of opportunities and also people who like who are there for you and willingly to listen and help you so yeah I came to the good place but I wish I, I could come with my friends mm -hmm. yeah you said you missed the food I'm not really that familiar with Rwandan food can you share a little bit about it Ooh, so Rwandan food so it's like License sombe, license like sombe. So, yeah, sombe and bugatti. What's sombe? <laughs> is that a vegetable? Yeah, it's like cassava. Oh, okay. Yeah, like cassava. Cass how do we call this? It's. 
I think cassava. I've heard cassava here, yeah. but I've never actually cooked with it. So. Oh, yeah, you need to try them. Okay. Yeah, they are really nice. So, like, they have this different th- kind of food that I don't see here because here, uh, when I go to someone, they'll be like, do you need pizza? And I'm like, no, I don't you like pizza. Yeah. Are you hating on pizza right now? Yeah. Melted cheese on bread? <laughs> no, 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 no. My favorite thing. <laughs> oh, you see, it's like, no. What is pizza and this cheese thing like oh, it's like comfort food deluxe for me wow <laughs> comfort food is some bad bugatti and meat and <laughs> much health- much healthier uh, yeah <laughs> yeah but pizza is good too oh whatever you can't backtrack yeah. <laughs> now I know no, it's good <laughs> for you guys who love it <laughs> yeah. i know your truth that's mm-hmm. oh man that's why i like i sometimes i feel like if there's a new like family arriving mm-hmm. I'm like maybe I should take them food but then I'm so self-conscious to take them food because I'm like whatever I give them is probably going to be so much worse than what they're used to eating yeah. at home maybe the good thing to do is to if you can ask them before you cook you cook like you cook it for them or if you can ask a friend like me or like, like what do or they maybe like? google it ask like what is you they? have more faith in my cooking abilities oh. <laughs> yeah um so earlier when we were talking about your radio show, which I just think is so cool that you did that, um, you were saying, I was said, you should start a show here. And you said, yeah, but not in English. I wouldn't be. And we started talking about how your personality, whether you're speaking English or Kenya Rwanda, like your personality comes out differently. And I think a lot of people who are multilingual experience that. Can you share a little bit more about what that is like? Yeah. So like when you're speaking your like first language, you know, all these like slangs and all things that you know like make people laugh so when you are speaking in english then you have to think and think and you are like sometimes you are like i know this word but it's not the one that i need to use i need to use like the funniest one or the hardest one and then you are like oh i it's hard like it doesn't come in mind just that quick so like when you are speaking in your first language you are like yeah I know what I'm talking about, 100%. You can make that quick joke. Yeah, quick joke and like you mix all the things. But when you're speaking in like your second or third language, then you are like, am I sure that I said the right word? Mm-hmm. Am I sure that I said it in the way they are supposed to be? Like, yeah. Do you get? A, do you still speak in your Rwanda a lot in your day-to-day life? Every day. Like if I go out of this studio, then I was shifting. From English to Kinyarwanda. If I go in class, then I speak English. But at my home, my sisters, we just speak Kinyarwanda. So Mina is going to be bilingual, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. Yeah, but I'm not trying to be hard on her, like, to learn Kinyarwanda. Because I know she's going to know it anyway. Because, yeah, just speaking it, it, I just thought that it would be good if I let her be, like, six or seven and then i would ask her do you need to know like this language then i would just mm-hmm. start like teaching her kenya Rwanda. but if she don't then i leave her alone and speak her to her in english so you're it's interesting that um you know you're obviously african raising your daughter in an american culture you're, african, you're american too but <laughs> you have these two different worlds that yeah. you're raising now mina and do you have any um customs cultures or like traditions from your African roots that you want to make sure you maintain as a parent even though now you're in America so like one of the things that I need her like to have 
it's like this kind of respect that we owe our parents. Like, you know, like this time here in America, they say, oh, the kids have the right to say no. The kids have the right to do this, this. I understand that the kids have to say no, but in respectful manners. Not say, Mina, go bring this and shit be. No. <laughs> Not in my house. <laughs> yeah. So I would just need her like to be more uh, like this print and like she know like to respect the elders. Like when someone is older than you, you owe her or him respect no matter what. So that's how I have been raised. When someone is older than me, even if she do something which is which I don't agree with, I would just say no, but in a very respectful manner. So I need her to be a very respectful person. And also, yeah, so like hardworking. <laughs> so she's not going to be, because mama can afford this and this, I'm not going to work hard. No, she's ha- she's going to work hard and I will start teaching her like all this home work, like when she's six, she will start knowing like, how maybe to do like small stuff at home. So yeah, I'm not going to raise her like watch TV, do this and this. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also I need her to be American, which means I'll just to- teach her to like to use her big voice and to say no and mean no. Because sometimes we Africans, someone will say no and then she mean yes or like kind of yes uh, so say yes but really want to yeah say no. mm-hmm. so i'll just make sure that she's independent and she know what she want and like yeah she she know how to use her big voice so nobody's going to just take advantage of her mm-hmm. yeah it's a really important lessons mm-hmm. um going back to kind of you moving here what was the moment like when you got to see your dad for the first time when you got you know, off the, if I imagine at the airport is how I'm picturing it. Is that where you first saw him? And the funny thing is that at the airport, like, we didn't even, I mean, we hugged each other, but just like this and we went, because we, I think we were maybe still shocked. Yeah. Yeah, but then when we got home, our dad started treating us like little kids. Oh, do you need bread? Oh, do you need this? Like, I don't know what he was thinking, but was just... Like, oh, do you want to go to the market? Do you want to go to, like, he was showing us everything as if we are, like, six or four, like, the last time he he saw us. So I was like. (laughs) You kind of had to re-get to know each other (laughs) in this new Mm -hmm. age. Yeah, like, and then our, like, when we go somewhere and then my sister or me, we put in, like, short dress and he'd be like where do you think you are going? (laughs) (laughs) So we just, like, started off started over like to learn each other yeah. yeah and you had to come here at a hard time because it was may and i remember in may everything was still kind of shut down so yeah that must have felt a little bit isolating i imagine i know like even uh my daddy's friend was like they needed to come to see us but also like then they needed to protect themselves so it was kind of weird situation yeah, yeah. when did you start to feel like this could be home like what made it feel like, okay, I can see my life unfolding here. So, like, to me, home is where my people are. So yeah. it doesn't matter if it, they are in Rwanda or here. So as long as I was, like, I'm with my dad, then, like, the first day, this was my home. Wow. Yeah. I was like, I know I'm going to miss my other home, but this is my home because I, I am with the people that I love. Yeah. Wow. 
would you have anything that you'd want to share with listeners um, to wrap up, whether it's people who are arriving in Idaho as new here or people who have lived here for a long time? So, like, something they should know? Yeah, or... just maybe advice from, from yeah. your own journey. So, like, the thing that I advise them, like, when you come here, don't be shy. Don't, like, because people would be like, oh, my English is not good. And then how am I going to navigate? Like, how am I going to live my life? How am I going? And some people will tell you, oh, don't go back to school. Why are you going back to school? Here you have money. You can get a job even if you don't have a degree. That's a lie. You can get a job, but, like, you are not living your dream, like, your dream life. You can have a job, but you are not, like, who you were made to be. Because I believe that I was made to be a social worker. And I know I can get jobs somewhere, like, at home or somewhere else. In that, I'll be doing that job and gaining that money, but I'll not be, like, serving people that I was born to serve. So, like, don't listen to those people who tell you, ah, you are wasting your time going to school because you are not wasting your time. Because everything you know, like, even if you don't get job in that career or that major that you took, you are going to use that information one day or you can use it even in your daily life. So mm. one of the things, don't listen to people who tell you to not go back to school if you want to go back to school. Just go back to school and you make it. And they will also tell you like, all oh, these people speak English and they know good English and you don't know like good English. So how are you going to make it? But like, let me tell you, like intelligence is not like measured by the way you speak language. So as long as you know that you have like ability to learn, go to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also like the other thing is like, just go and knock on the doors because like there is people who are waiting to help you. But if you just go come and stay in your apartment, nobody's going to know that you are there. But mm -hmm. if they know that you are there, they're going to help you. So just advocate for yourself. I love that. And if people are listening who want to go to school, but it feels like a daunting task, please send me an email. It's mosaics at idahorefugees.org. And there are so many organizations out there, like One Refugee and Boise State, College of Western Idaho. They have teams that will help with whether it's like the application or the financial side, like mentorship side. Um, there's yeah, a lot that's of really people. true. Like the, the first time I came here, I didn't know like anybody who can help me like when it comes to educational journey. And then like I Googled and then I saw like Trio. And, Trio, yeah. Yeah, and then like... I just contacted one of of the people who worked there and then she, like she started the application for me and my sisters and she showed us like this is CWI this is BSU I think like the good thing for you is to start at CWI cuz you get like more support like yeah and then she did it for us and then the next semester we just went to school and we were like how did we even sh like how are we in school so mm -hmm. like if you have questions, just ask and seek for help because there is too many opportunities in this country. Yeah, like one refugee. Sometimes I, I, I think that someday they are going to charge me because, yeah, I don't understand how that someone is there just to help you for free. Like they help you financially. They help you like advising you. They help you like show someone is willingly to come and show like, how the parking works, 
where can I park my car? Where can, what, how can oh, I do? Oh, those yeah. small details that you don't really yeah. think about, but it makes a big difference yeah, when like, you're in it. I remember like when I was about to come to BSU, I just told Gabby, I don't, I have never been to BSU and I don't know like where, how I will find my classes. And then she said, when do you have time? And then I said, this coming Friday. And then she came, we went like, we just had the tour to BSU. And then I was like, okay. This is so cool. Yeah. So like, yeah, don't miss the opportunities. Just come and study. Great. Well, Lisa, thanks for spending the time with me today and missing out on your lunch hour with Mina. Thanks. (laughs) Tell her I said thank you and happy birthday. Thank Um, you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I hope you come. Oh, well, let me know. (laughs) It'll be fun to see her. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you.